Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Clay County Beacon Podcast. My name's Josh Allen, and today I am happy to bring you a conversation between myself and Michelle Cook, a candidate for sheriff in Clay County. I uh, hope you enjoy the episode and make sure to subscribe to the Clay County Beacon Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Clay County Beacon Podcast. Today, I am fortunate enough to have with me Michelle Cook, who is running for sheriff in Clay County. Michelle, first of all, thank you for spending some time with me. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, you know, we appreciate you being willing to, to talk to people about uh, why you're running for sheriff. And that's really my first question. Why do you want to be the sheriff of Clay County? Hi, Josh. First of all, thank you for uh, inviting me to, to be on the podcast here. You know, I... Um, why do I want to be sheriff? Well, you know, I grew up in Clay County and, and Clay County has always been where my family uh, has lived for, for probably close to 50 years now. And um, although I had to go into Jacksonville as a young officer to work, Clay County is where my family has always lived. So Clay County is home to me. And um, last year when, when there were some challenges revealed uh, within in the sheriff's office, um, you know, I, I got a phone call and, and the person on the other line said, Missy, you need to come home. And it really sort of took my breath away um, and, and went home and talked to my husband and talked to my family and then started talking about, you know, what a wonderful opportunity it would be to return, um, you know, come home to Clay County to work, uh, come home to Clay County to serve uh, my home county as the sheriff. So really that's my motivation is just the, the opportunity to come home and serve. That's great. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think from what I hear from people in the county, right, just your, your average Joe citizen, it's very important to the majority of people that uh, people who are running for office or hold offices here in the county have some sort of tie to the county. So it's good to know. Um, clearly, you know, you have some extensive experience. I want to give you an opportunity to sort of highlight, you know, your experience and your qualifications that, that, that you know, you think have you ready for, for contending for the job of sheriff. Sure. So I joined um, the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office in 1992, and um, I have had some fantastic opportunities um, throughout my career. You know, I was a task force leader. I, I ran the intelligence division. I ran narcotics and vice. I ran the training academy. Uh, you know, I worked under and was promoted under four different sheriffs. And when I retired as the number three from JSO, which is the 25th largest agency in the country, I had over a thousand deputies that worked for me. I had, um, you know, operational control of, of over a hundred million dollars in, in, in budget. And, and so, you know, taking that experience um, and retiring as the number three to me, I think makes me very qualified, you know, add to that, that uh, upon retirement, um, I was, uh, uh, afforded an opportunity to go out to uh, the beach and serve as a chief of police at the beach. And, you know, at that time, people, you, you know, wanted to come back to Clay, but at that, that time, there was only three positions really in Clay County um, at that level, and they were all occupied. So, you know, I, I got this opportunity to go out to Atlantic Beach and run my own agency. And what was really neat for me is, you know, working under four different sheriffs, I got, I, you know, I had to execute their strategies and their visions. When I went out to the beach, I was able to do my thing, my my strategies, my vision. And, you know, just this year, Atlantic Beach was named the safest city in Northeast Florida. And that's something I'm really proud of is, is that work there. So in addition to 
you know, having a thousand deputies that work for me, plus a couple hundred civilian staff, hundred million dollar budget. I've run my own agency. Um, and, you know, we were named the safest city in Northeast Florida. But I also, a couple of other things that I do that I think really have prepared me for this, this opportunity is, you know, I travel the country uh, for an organization through the Department of Justice and I teach active shooter incident management. So I teach police, fire, uh, executives, how to manage an active shooter incident if one um, is to occur in their community. I've been doing that for, for quite a while. The other thing that I do um, that, I'm, that I'm really proud of that I think really sets me apart from the other candidates is that I serve as an incident commander for a state crisis response team. There's six teams in the state of Florida. Uh, I joined the team around 2005 and I've worked my way up and have served as an incident commander for the past several years. So when there's a crisis in the state um, and even in the country, our team has responded to a couple of, uh, of um, incidents outside the state. But when there's a crisis in the state, my team's called, I'm called. And, and, and so, you know, most recently I served as an incident commander uh, for the region for the COVID response. And, and again, I think that's what sets me apart from, from all the other candidates is, you know, I've, I've managed a large number of people. I've, I've managed a large budget, budget. I've led my own agency. I've had to make life and death difficult decisions um, many, many times. And, and I have the experience and wisdom that comes from, you know, doing all of those things. That's great. Yeah. I, I think, you know, a well-rounded candidate is always good, right? Especially in the sort of, I don't, I don't want to say industry that, that, you know, law enforcement is, but it kind of is, right? It's a, there are facets of it that are public service, but there are facets of it that are a job and an industry like anything else. And it's good to have people who have done successfully a great many things. So all that, the experience that you have, the, the things that you've done uh, in your past, uh, all that comes together. And I assume, you know, you, you talked about having your own sort of vision for uh, the Atlantic beach police department. What would, what would be your vision for the Clay County Sheriff's office? Should you be elected sheriff? You know, I think there, there's a couple of things. Um, first Clay County is experiencing on the cusp of experiencing unprecedented growth, um, growth like we haven't seen in, you know, since it was, uh, since Clay County was born. And I think you have to have a law enforcement leader, who is nimble with resources, um, smart with money, uh, and and responsive to the community, and 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 those are three things that, when you look back across my career, um, those are three things that that I'm good at that I've done. Um, you know, responsive to the community, uh, smart community policing programs, deep, meaningful com community policing programs, not. Um, smoke and mirrors type of community policing, like true community policing efforts that are going on. Smart with money. You know, this is, this budget doesn't belong to the sheriff. This budget doesn't belong to the sheriff's office. This budget belongs to every single resident who lives in this county. And you, you don't treat it as an open checkbook. You treat it as if I walked outside and asked Sally Smith, are you okay with how we spend this money, you want them to say yes. So, you know, being really smart with, with the money um, and, and, and the resources. So for me, that's, that's what's important. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, <laughs> prioritizing where the money in your budget goes to make sure it's spent wisely, you know, with Absolutely. the end goal being of, of, you know, 
you know, obviously policing in the sense that, you know, you're, you're solving, you know, crimes and figuring out who's doing what and, and, and taking care of that, but also like preventing crime, like looking at how crime starts and saying like, how do we create a community or area, county, whatever that, that has measures in place to, to prevent, uh, you know, crime because of the growth that you're talking about this first coast expressway, you know, uh, it's a, you know, it's an interstate and interstate brings ease of access. And, and some people yep. use that ease of access for, for good things like shopping or, or, you know, commerce or whatever. But there are some individuals, you know, who use ease of access for, for less than, than honorable intentions, right? They come to, to do yes. no, do no good. And I think it's good to hear, you know, your thoughts are at least partly, you know, how do we prevent it? How do we work to, to, sure. to manage the growth in a safe way? Right. And, um, and, you know, and to add to that, let me just add to that, Josh, sure, if you sure. don't mind, yeah, yeah. you know, add to that. You know, there, there, there is a finite number of deputies on the street. There is a finite number of public safety personnel. And, and so you have to have force multipliers in the community. And your force, force multipliers are the citizens. Now, a citizen's not going to pick up the phone and call the sheriff's office if they don't have a relationship or they trust that sheriff's office. And for me, you know, the effective way to prevent and, and solve crime is to maximize my force multipliers out there by spending quality time with them, you know, having deputies spend quality time with them. Relationships aren't built in a crisis. Right. Relationships are built um, in the everyday goings on of our, our daily lives. And, and that's where you have to invest your time and your efforts is building those relationships so that if Josh has an issue, there's no hesitation that Josh is picking up the phone and making the phone call for help. Yeah. And I think coupled with that, you know, the relationship plus, you know, there has to be a, a level of uh, a perception of competency, right? Like yeah. if, if, if I'm a citizen and I see a things, ha a thing that is happening that, that I can't handle, right? Like, you know, there's some sort of incident that's going on. Um, but I don't know that the, the police officers that I would call, and I'm not saying this is the case, this is a hypothetical, right? right. Um, you know, I don't know that they're going to be able to handle it either, or they're not going to show up, or it's going to take them, you know, way too long, you know, a perception of being too long to show up. I think the competency plus having that relationship, and uh, I think are, are so important, um, you know, and I think to hit on a, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, you bring up a good point. I'm sorry, there's a delay in, in your Talking. Yeah, no worries, so no worries. Stop talking. Yep, no um, worries. So, you know, I used to run the, the Northeast Florida Training Academy. So every uh, policeman that, that needed training in the area came through my training academy. Uh, and, and training is huge because at the end of the day, if, if a citizen calls 911, to your point, if a citizen calls 911, they want a quick response by a professional law enforcement officer who is trained and equipped to manage the situation and you know i i to this day still travel the the state um and the country training and, and training is a huge thing that has to be ongoing um for the men and women uh, in the agency yeah absolutely i think that that's and and that's another thing that's sort of a universal when you're managing a, a large group that's dealing with the public, whether you have a business and you have customers and you're selling a product or service or whether you're doing something that's more, you know, obviously more crucial, uh, you know, in, in policing, like you have to have continual training, making sure that not only do you have the right processes and procedures in place, but you're constantly running your people through, you know, training to make sure that they, they remember and, and have the, you know, muscle memory, I guess, you know, to do Absolutely. what they should do. You know, I think uh, um, there's a perception 
in the county, at least amongst people that I talk to, right? So uh, granted, my, my field of view is probably a little narrow, but there's a perception amongst people I talk to that certain types of crime, uh, especially specifically drug-related crime, are on the rise in Clay County. I'm curious to know, is that your perception? And if so, you know, do you have any thoughts around like how, how we could change that trend? Absolutely. So um, I used to run narcotics and vice at the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, and I can tell you that I know firsthand because I have family, you know, my family lives here in Clay County. Um, drugs are on the rise and, and they're coming right down Blanding Boulevard. They're coming right down 17. They're going to be coming right through that new expressway. And um, fighting drugs and, 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 and I'm, you know, I'm not talking about the, the, the high school kid that has a joint in his pocket and, you know, right. walking down the street. I'm talking about the drugs that kill people. Okay. You have to be very strategic in how you battle the drug problem. Picking off end users that are walking down the street may make for good numbers, but they don't make for good cases and they don't make for good crime fighting. You have to be very strategic with your drug investigations. Um, some of them can be short-term, some of them can be long-term, but you have to be very strategic. And I don't want to go too much into operationally how you do that. Sure. Um, but I will say that... Um, it, it is, it, drugs are getting worse. And, and, I, and I tell you another thing, Josh, that people aren't talking about yet, but, um, but, but it's happening is human trafficking. And so what we're, we're gonna see or what we're seeing is the number of, um, especially young girls, middle age, uh, middle school age, you know, younger high school age, finding boyfriends who are feeding them with drugs and then basically prostituting them out. Really? And when you have drugs, and you have human trafficking, the next thing that comes is violence. Right. And so, you know, if we don't get a hold of this now, it, it's potentially going to get a lot worse. Yeah, that's interesting to hear you say that because, you know, your average Joe citizen like me, I hear a lot of anecdotal things about human trafficking, and it's hard to make sense, you know, of what, what is accurate or, or true, right? Like you have people, you have celebrities standing up and saying that they – stopped, you know, 100,000 sex trafficking cases, and it turns out they were just lying through their teeth, right? You hear all sorts of statistics, and, and one person will tell you, yeah, it's 100% accurate, and another person will tell you it's not. But it's interesting to hear somebody with actual background and knowledge that would know, uh, sort of say that, yeah, it is a problem. Um, and, and it sounds like, in, in, and I'm going to paraphrase here and tell me if I'm wrong, it sounds like what you're saying without going into the weeds of the operational stuff, like you said, but you have to, yes, you have to combat end users. You have to deal with people who are, you know, high in public and causing problems, but you also have to try to cut the problem off at its source. If you're just at the lower level, you know, dealing with the end user, you're never going to stop the problem in, in whole. Is that sort of an accurate paraphrase of, of your yeah. stance on it? Yeah. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, and I'll go ahead and add to that. So, and, and let me just give you a, an ex, a, a, for example, um, single mom, a couple of kids at the house and she goes in for dental visit and has is, is prescribed some pain pills. And next thing you know, she's hooked on pain medication. Uh, scooping her up and putting her in jail absolutely does not solve that problem. Right. So, you know, you have to hold people accountable for their actions, but at the same time, those who truly need help and those who truly need a pathway out, you have to have relationships in the community with your, your organizations that provide uh, uh, help, um, right. you know, through su uh, substance abuse and addiction, mental health help, um, you know, job skills. You have to have those relationships with those other organizations 
in the community so that if you arrest this young woman who's got two young kids, you want to quickly get her rehabbed and back on her feet and right. back in her family, supporting her family. Um, and, and the same thing with, with, you know, with young men. I want young men to be active in their families, even young men who've made a mistake. So if I get a young guy who's broken into a car or got addicted to drugs, yes, I'm going to hold you accountable, okay? But I want to get you rehabbed and helped so that you can be a productive member of, of this, this community. And, and putting those same sort of low-end users in jail over and over again right. doesn't solve any long-term problems. And it really just sort of continues to break down in the family. Yeah, you could argue yeah. that you know, it has longer term ancillary uh, negative effects that, that I don't think anybody intends. Like you have to, I think, and I think that leads into a larger point. It's always been my view and I'm no expert by any stretch of the imagination, but it seems like any sort of, you know, criminal justice system or, or whatever you want to call it, you know, whether it's County state, you know, federal that doesn't have an element of rehabilitation, you know, for sure. the people who, who probably, you know, just need a hand to, to get out of a cycle that they're in. I think, you know, you're, you're, you're short, you're very, it's very short-sighted not to have that, you know, in, in sure. your criminal justice tool belt. And, and, and I'll tell you this, I speak from experience. So there's been a, a couple of organizations that, that I've been involved with heavily and, and one program that I actually started uh, and that I'm very proud of, and it's um, the Chronic Homeless Offender Program out of Jacksonville. I started that program uh, with the permission of then Sheriff uh, John Rutherford right. and the partnership with uh, the Homeless Center and the state attorney and the public defender and the chief judge. Mm -hmm. And what we did is we took folks that were homeless and were chronically committing misdemeanor offenses and when we picked them up on a minor offense, urinating in public, right. you know, something like that, uh, we, we, we afforded them the opportunity to enter into a, a wraparound service program. And, and that program, in fact, I was on the phone just last week with another county in, in Florida wanting to know how we did that. How, how did we set that up? What did that look like? And so for me, you know, partnering with all these other organiza organizations in the best interest of, of the person uh, is, is better for everybody. And I've actually done that. Like I've actually set up a program that's been very successful. Now, Josh, I will sit here and tell you, cause I've, I have looked, you know, I have looked evil in the eye. I mean, I have had a gun pointed to my head. I have been shot at. There are evil people in yeah. this world. Absolutely evil. That's who jail, that's what jail should be for right. is those, those evil people. Um, folks that are just having a rough time or just have sort of stepped on themselves a little bit. Let's give them a way out. Let's give them some some opportunity to get themselves together. Yeah, I think you you know you have that opportunity and you give people a chance and then it's sort of you know you have the steps there, but it's up to to the folks who are willing to to actually take the steps you know to to get out of that cycle. That's all that's all good stuff. Um, mm -hmm. so talk a little bit if you can. I don't know how much detail you want to give, right? On on your idea of what effective community relations look like. You talked earlier about having a relationship with the public so they're confident that they can call on a law enforcement agency to, to handle an issue. How do you, what are your thoughts on how you actually grow that relationship? How do you form that with the public? It's, um, well, back, back in the early nineties, um, uh, I was asked to start the community policing unit in, in Jacksonville and you know, it, it taught me a lot. And I'll tell you another thing too, Josh, that taught me a lot about community policing is I'm not a big person. Like <laughs> I am not a big, overwhelming, physical right. kind of person that, um, that uh, can just, you know, uh, rough people around. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of small frame. So for me, 
the way I was successful as a beat cop was that I just, whenever I had some downtime, I just stopped and talked to people. Right. That is, you know, community policing is not a program or a project. Community policing is a way of just doing business every day. It's, it's taking the time to talk to people. It's taking the time to learn somebody's name. Where, right. where do your grandkids go to school? Um, where do you go to church? That's relationship building. And, you know, I, I started the community policing program in, in Jacksonville, but I didn't like the idea of the program. To me, a program is something that has an, a, an, a, a, an end date. Right. It has, right. It has, you know, I, don't, I didn't like that. It, it's more about a philosophy and a way of doing business. Now, I will tell you this. Um, one of the challenges of hiring young people today and in, coming into law enforcement is they're not necessarily schooled up on like conversations, like if they'll text you back and forth, right? right? So how do we empower young deputies and train young deputies to engage in conversation? And, and then that's the expectation. So community policing to me is not a program or a project. It's just how we do business. And it's relationships that are built through communication, through time, through visits. You know, that that's how you do community policing. Well, do you think it's fair to say that, that some of that you know, at the, the deputy level would be learned by their interactions with their supervisors or even with you, right? I think it would be important for, for leadership within a group like that where you're saying like, hey, when you're out and about with the public, here's how we want you to interact with them to build trust and foster a relationship. I think, um, you know, I think it's important. I know in the business world, you know, in, in, in my world that I live in, uh, that, that is the sort of thing. Like if I have a team of people and I've had teams of people report to me, if I want them to act a certain way or treat people with a certain amount of dignity or, or, or whatever, if I'm not treating them that same way, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to ask people to do what you're not willing to do yourself. And I think, would you say that that would sort of be, would that be a way that you would teach some of the, the deputies to do that is by making sure that the folks above them, so like the supervisor, and forgive me if I don't know, like the terms of the, like the management, like the level terms, uh, amongst the deputies, but like, I would imagine there's either supervisors or sergeants or something like that. Right. Would, would, I would assume that would be a tool in the tool belts to have the, the leadership, exhibit those same qualities that you want the, the, the deputies to have themselves, right? Sure. You yeah. know, leadership and the tone of how people are treated, both internally and externally, the tone is set at the very top. And you have to walk the walk, talk the talk, and lead by example. And so, you know, you know when, I, when I was in Atlantic Beach, uh, you know, going out, talking to people, I, I would take a young deputy with me just to watch. And, and, and engage people in conversation right. and then talk to the deputy about, hey, you know, that's that's how you build relationships. That's how you build that conduit of information. Um, and, and I think you have to at, at the top and, and everywhere in the middle, you have to lead by example. I want to display every single day. I want to model every single day the behaviors that I want to see from not only the deputy, but the, the folks in the communication center the folks that are, are at the window handling public records requests. Uh, and if you treat, and, and this is, I'm real big on this, Josh, if you treat your employees and, and model your behavior in such a way that your employees see that every day, they're going to go out and they're going to treat the community that way. And, you know, going back to force multipliers, if, if a deputy knows, you know what, my boss would want me to do this, or my boss would want me to say this, 
and they do that, then that goes back to build that community policing, right. like basic yeah. community policing. It's not a program or a project. It's just how we do business. And if I want my folks to do that, I got to be doing that. Yep. Yep. I think that that's wise. Um, so I think that leads in sort of to, to another question. There, there's a lot of focus around the country. Um, and, and I don't, I don't know that Clay County has an issue with this or has ever had an, an incident, but there's a lot of folks around the con- uh, country about, uh, sort of a, a racial overtone to police interactions, right. That, and some of them have ended up in, uh, incidents where, you know, people have lost their lives, uh, in an interaction with the police. And I'm not saying that the police are to blame. Like, don't, that's not what I mean, but there, there's a lot of focus on, uh, putting pu- the public, putting pressure on various law enforcement agencies to, to really be steeped in de-escalation tactics, right. Mm-hmm. To try to keep situations from getting to a point where, where there is violence involved, whether it's, you know, on the part of the police officer mm-hmm. defending themselves or, you know, a citizen doing something that they shouldn't do, you know, either. Um, what, what's your viewpoint on uh, de-escalation and like how, how would how would you manage that amongst your force to, to equip them to hopefully avoid ever having a tragic situation occur? Sure. So, you know, all police recruits go through the state mandated basic law enforcement training and it's a state course. Um, and, and de-escalation is, is a part of that. But for me, de-escalation and de-escalation tactics are not something that you can take an eight-hour class on or 20-hour class on. Oh, you know how to de-escalate. Again, it's going back to modeling behavior right. and, and, um, and having supervisors who can go to, especially the younger deputies, and say, hey, what if you had this? How would you handle it? Or what if you had that? How would you handle it? And the other thing that is really important and, and works really well is you know, debriefing with individuals, with individual deputies. Okay, here's what happened. Let's let's watch the body camera footage if there is any. Let's listen to the 911 calls. Um, what would you what, what did you do well? How how could you improve? And you know, for especially for the younger deputies, that you're adding you're adding tools to their toolbox because if they know that this veteran officer de-escalated this situation by saying XYZ or I tell you a great one that somebody taught me a long time ago when I was a rookie officer. I don't smoke, but I carried a pack of cigarettes in my car and a lighter. Right. And so I somebody standing on the side of the bridge going, I'm going to jump. I'm going to kill myself. And I'm like, well, would you like a cigarette before you do that? Absolutely. Here's a cigarette, sir. Here's your lighter. And, you know, that gave me time to sort of start bringing that person down. And I, you know, I always carried a pack of cigarettes and Tic Tacs. Somebody said right. carry Tic Tacs and, and, and dog bones. And, you know, so all these tricks of the trade that we are obligated as veteran law enforcement officers to share with the, with the younger people coming into the, the industry. And I think there's plenty of um, uh, body camera footage, plenty of YouTube videos where we can debrief right. and say, here's what was good. Here's what was bad. Here's what we can do different. Now, Josh, I'm going to go back and say this again. There are evil people in this world. And sometimes you have to go hands-on with evil right. people. Officers, you know, deputies have to just shoot um, or, 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 you know, use an a, a intermediate weapon on somebody. That, unfortunately, police work is ugly sometimes. Right. But you know what? There's a lot of times that we can spend just a few minutes and let's see if we can't get... That, that person's level down to a point where we sure. can talk to them. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember, uh, I would wager that, you know, the vast, vast majority of police interactions with other human beings out and about are, are positive and not Absolutely. violent in any way, right? But, yep. you know, the, 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 uh, 
the exciting stuff, you know, for lack of a better word, gets the attention. It sound what I think I heard you say in there, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you want to you would give deputies that worked under you sort of an opportunity to uh, debrief on how they handled the situation and create. You know, obviously, if they made like a crazy mistake, like something that's egregious, you would hold them accountable. But it sounds like you would give them a safe, sort of a safe venue or a safe space to talk about, like, hey, I don't think I did this well. Help me do it better. And that that really goes back to modeling what you know, modeling behavior and modeling what you want to see. And you know, when again, when I was the chief of police, whenever we had a high um, profile call or a, a call for service that required you know a lot of officers showing up and it was a high energy sort of call we would sit around and debrief it and so typically i would go in there and we talk about it and then i would leave and and leave it to the first line supervisors to sort of talk about it some more and really um go back and forth with the younger guys about what did we do good what could we have done better could could you have gone right instead of left could you have said this and not that um and you have to create an atmosphere of um, willingness to discuss openly about what we did good and what we did bad. Right. Uh, you know, I, I was the incident commander for the SWAT team uh, for three years and then the incident commander for the special response team in Atlanta Beach. We did that after every call. We debriefed. And, and so your specialized units are doing it. Why wouldn't we want the right. line level deputies doing that on the high priority calls? Yep. And, and, and again, you know, even if that deputy only learns one little thing, Hey, keep a pack of cigarettes in the car. Right. Uh, and then that saves somebody's life down the road. Then it's a win-win. Yeah. And I think it's so important because, you know, this is not, this is some people when I, when I've said this to other people before, I've taken it as an insult or a slight and I don't mean it that way as well-trained and as knowledgeable and professional as l- most law enforcement officers are, they're just human beings. Every human Absolutely. being you meet is going to have a bad day and make a mistake, not do something perfectly. You know, and I think it's important to give people the opportunity to, to assess and learn from their mistakes and, and try to, you know, do better the next time they have an opportunity to, to handle a situation. And they may not even make a mistake. You know, just because you debrief an incident and talk about what you could do better doesn't mean you did anything wrong. Um, it could yeah, be that. Yeah, absolutely. Old wise veteran, the old wise veteran deputy that's ridden the beat for 30 years next to you says, youngster next time you should do this instead of that i mean those are the valuable lessons that that you gotta you know to share Uh, and then again it creates a um an atmosphere of learning of of you know better service and of de-escalation um if if the if the um you know if the if the if the call is right Right. and and again it goes back to that's community policing yep right That is community policing. Yep. Yeah. Effective self-assessment gives you the opportunity to, if there is a mistake, correct it, but also get better, right? Like not, not, you know, I'm doing this really well. Now I want to be excellent. Now I want to be, you know, first in class or like world-class, like whatever the, however you want to stack rank, you know, skill sets. Um, So you talked a little bit about body cams. What's your stance on those? Are you in favor of them? Are you not in favor of them? Like, how do you, how do you view that? I don't mind them at all. And I think most deputies um, don't mind it at all. I'll tell you this, Josh. I've been in law enforcement for 28 years and I can tell you that most deputies every single day, every single day are going out and doing the right thing. Absolutely. I can also tell you that really good deputies have been accused of things that just didn't happen. And the body camera proves that it didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, for the deputies that are doing the right thing, it's a, it's a, it's an opportunity to prove it. Right. When somebody files a complaint, 
And for the deputies that may or may not, may not be doing the right thing, if I've got that body camera on them, then they know they're being recorded. And so if that's what keeps them on the line, then then so be it. But, uh, you know, I don't have a problem with, with body cameras. I, I really don't. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I can sort of see it from maybe an officer's perspective, seeing it, you know, being a little uncomfortable with it at first. But I, I do think it is something I, you know, I used to, when I was younger in college, I worked in call center environments, right? And the thought of like every call I had with a customer being recorded was one of these things like, well, why you don't trust me to do my job, you know? And then you realize like, you know, if a customer says that, you know, I called them some sort of awful name or did something to their account, it's all there on the call. Like I either did right. or I didn't, right? And it's on the recording right. or it isn't. Um, so I think that's good. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, I don't know that there's even a, a call for body cameras in Clay County. I haven't really heard anybody clamoring for it, but I know, um, you know, nationwide, you see a lot of back and forth. Some, some law enforcement agencies are proponents and others are like, no, we don't want to do it. Um, I can tell you it's very expensive. I can yeah. tell you it is very, I would imagine the storage expensive. is expensive. Yeah. yeah. Storing all the, the footage yeah. just from doing a little bit of video work on the side, like as a hobby, like, it, you know, it's crazy how much, how much storage uh, video files take up. So recording somebody on like an eight hour shift, you know, driving around town policing, you know, their, their area of the County, yep. I can imagine how much that would take up. So one last sort of issue question for you. Um, there is also a lot of, uh, you know, clamor around immigration and immigration laws, right? Um, right? You know, there are some cities across the country that are calling themselves sanctuary cities and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to weigh in personally on what I think or don't think. Um, what's your, what is your view on, you know, policing and enforcing immigration laws? Like, do you, are you, are you, would you be okay if Clay County declared itself a sanctuary city? Like where does Michelle Cook stand on enforcing? Yeah, immigration I'm not, laws? I'm, you know, I'm not real big on, on sanctuary cities. I, I will tell you this. Um, you know, I think um, a lot of the folks that are here that are, are here legally are trying to be here legally. Um, uh, are doing the right thing, you know, many times they're victims Yep. and, and they're hesitant to call the police because they feel like they don't, you know, they either they don't speak good English or somebody's going to question their citizenship. Uh, and, you know, and I really feel for, for those folks, uh, America has a process to come here legally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that process should be followed. Um, and, um, you know, and I think we have to do a good job of reaching out to those folks in the different communities who are here legally, but who may not speak good English or may not feel right. like they, they trust the, the, the sheriff's office. And we have to make inroads with them because they're going to tell us who in the community is not doing the right thing. Yep. Um, so I am not a fan of sanctuary cities at all. I think um, America has a process. And if you want to be a part of our great country, you need to follow that process to get here. Yeah, that's kind of where I stand on it too, right? I think, you know, so, some leeway in, in, in allowing people to to come. You know, like you said, there's a lot of, we as Americans take for granted uh, a lot of our comforts and, and you know, freedoms and things that we have. And you look at some other folks' situations, I can, to an extent, understand someone who's willing to break an immigration law to, to come and maybe have a chance at a better life. But I think, you know, if, if that person is coming, you know, here or anywhere else to, to do things, you know, that, that aren't good, you know, to break more laws and, and create more right. crime, more problems. And I think, you know, they ought to, they ought to they suffer to those go. consequences. I yeah. mean, you know, I, I will say this, if, if you're arrested in this County and you're an illegal immigrant, you need to go. Right. right. Um, th there's zero tolerance for yep. that. 
Yeah, and I think at the federal level, and, and obviously I'm not asking you to weigh on this, but I think at the federal level there's probably some case for reforming the laws at a high level to be a little more compassionate maybe. You hear some stories and some scenarios where people, you know, get, get caught up in a, in a big the big machine that the federal government can be. But, yeah, I think at the local level you sort of have to play it that way. If you're here yes. and you're not supposed to be here, you know, because then then where do you – if you don't, where do you draw the line? Like how do you make a right. determination on – you know, this person versus this other person and, and who's worthy of staying, even though they're not legally here and who's right. Know. So, um, all right. So that's all I have for you. I want to give you one last shot though. If I'm a voter in Clay County and I'm looking at everybody that's running for sheriff, why should I vote for Michelle Cook? Uh, well, my name is Michelle Cook. I have the experience, the leadership, the integrity, and I will be a sheriff that you can be proud of. Awesome. That's awesome. That's very succinct. I like that too. <laughs> uh, you know, I think that, that, that travels well and people will hear that. Um, so again, you know, uh, Ms. Cook, I, I appreciate you coming on the show today and, and I wish you best of luck in the election. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate it.